Welcome to Securing Our Future, a podcast exploring how commercial and national security sectors work together to accelerate innovation. In each episode, we sit down with industry leaders, government officials, leading academics, and more to delve into the latest advancements and challenges in all areas related to our nation's future. This podcast is a publication of New North Ventures. Join us as we engage in insightful conversations with experts from the private and public sectors. To stay updated on the latest episodes and receive additional resources, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at securingourfuture.us. Welcome, Ben, to the podcast. Thanks for joining. Great to be here. (laughs) So we've had a fun journey, and I can't quite remember the best story to tell about how we met, but love to hear what you're up to, CEO of Reality Defender, working on trying to make the world a better place by finding things that, that are mucked with. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about your journey. Yeah. And, and first, Jeremy, thank you for being an awesome supporter when we were, when we were still a, a bit of a, a science project. My, my personal background has been the intersection of cybersecurity and data science. I spent time at Google in grad school. I've done some work for different intelligence and defense groups, including our government. I worked at Goldman Sachs, commercializing cybersecurity and investing in the space. And with Reality Defender, we we were initially incubated by a nonprofit. And we, as most entrepreneurs do at the very beginning, we thought we'd solved deepfakes forever because the data showed us that we were 100% accurate. And we told a few investors, including you, I think you said, I think your exact words were, where you end on the journey is not where you're going to start on the journey. And we realized quickly with the support of some early investors that Things that work in the lab don't always work in the real world, but we were blessed to have investors who really invest in people and and believe that we can figure things out, including you, Jeremy, and uh, New North Ventures. And so we went on a bit of a kind of first two years thinking about what is now called generative AI and how we want to solve it wherever it is and had every single mistake a startup could have trying to move too quickly, trying to move too slowly, trying to do too many things. Fast forward to today, and I'll, I'll tell you about the middle in a moment, but fast forward today, now we're 27 people based in New York City, supporting large governments, large banks, media organizations, checking audio, video, images, and, and text. And the middle part, let's dive deeper on because a, a lot of things happen during the journey. Oh, totally. And and there's just so many things. I guess the the one place before getting too far, uh, I can attest from my early days as an entrepreneur, uh, we almost were a 501c3 as we started. And so I, I respect that foundational intrigue and also just the focus on on delivering a mission. We, we wanted to go build infrastructure. And I think you also had a very mission-driven uh, element in terms of starting the company. But what when you first started, what where did you think that the different a different path that the that Reality Defender could have taken? Mm. When we first started this, we we're still deep within the Web3 cycle. And we probably spoke to 200 investors who did not understand what we were doing. Some of them that didn't understand what we we're doing still tried to convince us <clears throat> to pivot into some kind of Web3 crypto NFT authentication because NFTs were supposed to be trillion dollar asset class. And it was incredibly hard to, to hear. 
not just amongst our team, but also our family members. Two of us, three co-founders are, are married. My wife hearing that we're doing something and not getting a tremendous amount of real validation yet. And seeing all these crypto Web3 companies raising pretty wild rounds. And we just kept our heads down. We, we raised a little bit of investment. And then the world caught up to us in a, in a huge way. But we were two years ahead of that, which made for a lot of sleepless nights. And I think it's a testament to our initial core team just trying to make mistakes as fast as possible. And, and really iterate from them. And one of those was very early on realizing that to build great models, you had to know how to build great data sets as well, which was not obvious when we started the company. Yeah, and so certainly in, in the term of world catching up, you have two things that are, are really in your favor. One is around misinformation and, and trying to understand what's real and what's not real. And you're doing that in different domains. And the other one is on AI and generative AI, and certainly both of them are front and center in pretty much almost any conversation regarding technology. Uh, and I'm, I'm wondering if, if we can focus on the first part of, of that discussion around misinformation, around veracity of, of content that you see, and would love to, you know, you, you mentioned video, images, and audio, and I'm, I wonder if you could take us through how, how you think about what's real, what's not real when you see things online. Yeah, and I'll, I'll take one step back just to say what we do not do. We don't do any facial recognition. We don't retain any face prints or voice prints or any PII. If we scanned a voice that said, my name, it was me, Ben, saying my name is Jeremy Hitchcock, our platform would come back and say, yes, human, because we don't identify the user. Just very transparently, we, we don't retain or record or identify or anything. All we're doing is a very narrow pane of is the voice or the face or the video or the document AI generated or AI manipulated? And what is our confidence interval? So it's very probabilistic. We're not doing provenance, which is you know more uh, deterministic. And so what that means is we're never 100% sure. Our highest confidence interval is 99%. And so when you think about using our solution, it will indicate whether or not we are confident that a piece of media or a real-time phone call, for, for example, for bank users calling call centers is potentially AI-generated or manipulated without any risk of ingesting any data that if we lost it could damage a client or their uh, consumer clients as, as well. And we serve this up uh, really any way a large enterprise or government wants to consume it. We have an API. They can programmatically scan as many assets, audio, video, images, or documents as they want. We also have a web application where a human analyst can more drag and drop individual files uh, asynchronously and get indicators of not only which of our detection models think what, and they may disagree. Uh, by design, uh, but also where within the asset, for example, where within the face or the uh, audio, a spectrogram or within a, a text document, where are we specifically most confident of an AI generated anomaly or, or not? So our goal is taking something extremely technical and making it usable to a, a user who might not be as technical as the creators of our solutions. It might be a 
mid-level risk analyst, a uh, person who works in incident response, a junior intelligence coordinator, all the way down to somebody working in compliance or legal or just within KYC journey, authenticating you, Jeremy, when you're trying to add a new credit card or authorize a wire transfer. So a lot of those questions are, are pretty binary. Hey, is this the real person? Is this a human? Has this been altered? A lot of media does have enhancement images. Obviously, there's this generative AI element that's coming out as well. And what's the state of that? Is half the media we consume changed or modified in some way? Is it 10%? Is it majority of it? What's your sense on the landscape for what's real or what's not real? I think that brings up a bigger question of, is generative AI a good thing? And we think it's absolutely a good thing. There's a lot of fantastic use cases for it. Sometimes when I writer's block, I'll, I'll choose my favorite large language model, ask a few questions, and it'll give me kind of food for thought to keep my 1am creative thoughts going to, to, to write something. <clears throat> but conversely, it helps bad people do bad things at a lot larger, larger scale. Think about a Previously, if I wanted to do a confidence scam or a phishing attack was one by one or one to many, now I can customize it many to many and have an infinite number of fully customized materials for an infinite an infinite audience. And so with that said, we try to be very careful that we, we don't think Gen of AI is a bad thing. We think that malicious uses of any technology are a bad thing and focus on within Gen of AI, the malicious uses of generative AI. And given that we're one piece of the puzzle, one one tool in your tool belt, uh, if you're trying to diligence a person or an action or a communication, there are times when we are not that confident, but still think there is an anomaly. For example, a, a phone call with very poor connection, a very low resolution image. And in those cases, we may find an indicator where and also use other indicators as well to build a bit more of a mosaic to make a uh, decision to flag or block a, a user or an action or a report. And, and how good are, are some of the, we think, maybe biased in this, but we think that you're one of the best at this. But when you look across the landscape, how good are the tools out there to find <clears throat> things that are uh, modified? Is, is it relatively easy for, for best-in-class tools to, to look at this? And is the gap on nefarious people trying to sneak things through, is that will it always be a cat and mouse game? Or is it something where we always think that there'll, there'll be some mechanism to be able to find out, hey, this was in fact changed, or this was in fact coming yeah. from a real image? I'd say it's similar to antivirus software, where things are expanding dramatically right now. We believe we're going to reach a bit of a steady state. And while we're focusing right now on what is we believe is not real, trying to think about how to prove things are real, which would lead to more of a evergreen foundational model that would have a huge advantage against the adversaries. And there's a lot of people doing interesting work in this space, but there's not a lot that are thinking about it from a multi-modality way across all different types of communications, audio, video, images, and text. There's also not a lot of folks who are thinking about it from both building models, but also building data sets as well. And there's a whole world of opportunity for entrepreneurs who want to attack one piece of the generative AI or cybersecurity within generative AI supply chain, whether it's helping to build better data sets. For example, if you're a underrepresented group, most likely generative AI is not great for you and your group, whether it's your face, your culture, your voice, et cetera. 
And so that's a huge opportunity for teams who could, you know, programmatically generate properly distributed data sets. But then beyond that, checking for any other kind of implicit or explicit bias as, as well. Other sides of this, perhaps you're using Generative AI for good, but you're at a company that doesn't want you to leak your information to a large language model asking them questions that leak proprietary information as well. So thinking about how perhaps it's not fraud directly, but it's still not following specific policies of your government or intelligence or a large company ruling. So on our side, every day we're faced with these challenges, we got to invent things ourselves, and we just think, wow, it would be really, really cool uh, if we could find a, a company or, or a startup that's just an expert at this one very specific space, like within audio, for example, there are certain regional languages and dialects that we just can't find that on. Do we generate ourselves? Do we partner with somebody else? There's other areas where as things change between languages, what is the delta on what we should even be thinking about looking for, whether it's entry measurements or different supposed signatures or sub-signatures as well. So I think that there's a lot of room for innovation in the space. Um, we're focusing on like one kind of very narrow area there and we love to partner. Oh, it's cool. I, I was wondering if there are any specific examples that are either really good attempted fakes that you've caught across or very consequential decisions, because in a lot of cases, the examples you're giving, trying to authenticate somebody from wire transfer, banking, financial transactions, certainly the, the idea with government, there's some high stakes things. Any fun examples that you can point to of, of, of things that have come across the platform? Yeah, it speaks to a larger challenge of or lack of required needed regulations in the space. Uh, currently, as it, as it exists today in the U.S., there's no direct uh, laws or regulations on what um, news or online platforms need to do as far as generative media. We're big supporters of generative AI, but we also believe that the onus should not be on the consumer to tell if it's real or right. generated. It should be on the platform itself to say, hey, Jeremy, this uh, article or this image may be manipulated and here's why. And maybe they use Reality Defender, that'd be amazing. But a good example is the three or four months ago, we saw what looked like an explosion at the Pentagon that we identified in, within seconds that it was highly likely a diffusion-based generative image. But because of the lack of regulations and the fact that choose your favorite social media or streaming or image sharing uh, a platform, they want consumers to flag things when consumers are not experts that neither our experts couldn't tell either but that image of what looked like an explosion at the pentagon led to a hundred billion dollar flash crash in the market and now the market did come back but in those you know, seconds minutes a lot of folks lost a lot of money and that affects all of us whether you traded the market or not your 401k is definitely invested in the market that's an example of not only where the problem lies, but also where we need support from our appointed and elected officials. But most importantly is that the technology exists today, right now, to solve it in real time. And at Reality Defender, you know, this is something that we think about every day. Um, how do we serve the host of our solution and how do we serve the unfortunate recipients of the fraud wherever it exists? Another example that's very relevant as a parent of two young children is deep fake ransom phone calls where you get a phone call where you're almost certain it's fake, but they claim to have your grandparent or your child 
they got in a car accident, they owe money, um, their phone's not winning. Um, they might have some you know, physical danger if they don't give money to somebody within 10 minutes. And it's not enough time to call the police or even try and figure out whether it's real or not, who would want to take the risk. You just Venmo or Zelle or wire the money. And we just got the phone with the, the leader of a division of a top three global bank who very personally had this happen to them. And they said specifically, they were almost certain it was fake, but their kids are in college. Their kids are on spring break. They can't get a hold of them. It sounded like them. It's the world we live in right now. And the challenge right now is that you know, we could sell that in real time. And for some of our clients, we're scanning call centers and other types of inbound and outbound phone calls. We can do it for all telecom. We can solve that issue immediately. But right now, it's still waiting on regulations to help set some standards. Yeah. You, you talk a lot about the heady nature and, and some of the choices and you know, even starting off with, hey, we don't collect any PII data. Uh, generative AI, AI in general, whole conversation around privacy, ethics. How, how do you prepare a company to have to live in an environment where they're, they're making seemingly innocent decisions between technology choices when they have potentially tremendous impacts in societal norms? And, and just, is it something you talk about? Is it examples? Is it storytelling? What are the ways that you ground people in some of those, again, high consequential decisions that have to be made? Yeah, that's a really great question. And we tried doing the more traditional educational route. We have a whole range of case studies and white papers on our website, uh, which you, you folks can download. What we've learned, whether we're engaging uh, leadership in a company or government or intelligence groups or elected officials, is we need to uh, target that kind of visceral reaction of, wow, that's me. And so uh, while we don't, as a business, generate fake media, we use off-the-shelf tools to search for it on your iPhone or on the web, not only deep fake them, but also show them how we did it within seconds with off-the-shelf tools that are free or cost a dollar. And when people hear their own voice or see their own face, it's that kind of, oh, wow moment. And the only uh, analogy I can give, it's the same analogy, same feeling as when you found out that your social, social media was hacked 10 years ago, or your email was hacked, suddenly you have a very strong opinion on cybersecurity and, and privacy. But absent that kind of very personal, emotional, existential dread, it's, it's really impossible to demonstrate to somebody how dangerous this, this can be and this actually will be. You feel that there's some sort of societal deep fake issue that causes a, a, you know, some type of, of hopefully my, minor regionalized type of, of outcry? Is it just that the noise? And I think about this in cyber and cybersecurity, there's no, no product liability. Cyber still identity breaches happen all the time. This this is a form of identity breach in a very different way. We're, is it a regulatory aspect that that has to change? You think in order for for this environment to be more more stable? Absolutely. I, I think that there's a world where you hope that large industry players will regulate themselves. We've seen that with a lot of proposed watermarking initiatives, which we actually commend, but we also don't think that they're enough because. Uh, that only works if everyone agrees to follow the rules, including all the, the bad guys. You're not going to get all the robbers to promise to follow certain rules of locksmiths, which doesn't work that way. And so on our side, 
we, we believe in our heart of hearts that <clears throat> consumers are waking up to this issue because it's affecting them on such a personal level. And we think in the, I guess we hope, we hope that in the upcoming elections, candidates really trust and believe that consumers can get past more of these right versus left issues, given that cybersecurity is a universal um, concern and it affects companies and consumers alike. So we're hoping that over the next year or two, folks learn, and hopefully they learn before they have the issue themselves. But the problem is everyone's facing it, whether we realize it or, uh, or not. Yeah, certainly a, a pretty heady thing. Switching topics a little bit, this is your first journey as a CEO, and I'm curious, what's it been like? How, how have you enjoyed it? What things have you learned? What advice would you give somebody who's starting out? We were we just had somebody in our office who's on their journey from, from university into the workforce, and they had a question of whether they should go into startups or large companies. And my first answer was, oh, you should dive into startups immediately, because I did not do that. And I look at time as the ultimate asset. What if I did this in my 20s, not in my later 30s? But the more I thought about it is I, I learned so much on the job, engaging with government challenges and large corporate challenges as well, that that served me every day. But at the same time, none of that prepared me for startups. And so I think it's almost, it's learned by doing. I went to a great school. I worked for the largest tech company in the world. I worked for the best investment bank in the world. I have an MBA. And none of that prepared me for startups. So... I'd say the only way to know if you're up for it is just to do it. And I think you learn very quickly if you have the temperament for the high highs and low lows. But what's really cool is there's always another day. So even on the most challenging day, you have another opportunity to turn things around, especially when you have awesome investors as partners who, who challenge you, which means you have to be extremely patient and but also very persistent. Our opinions change as data changes, and we absolutely follow the data wherever it takes us. No, it's awesome. And it's been fun to watch you become uh, the CEO you are. As you self-described, probably a little bit lonelier in your first few years, but uh, you you had a a good syndicate that came together. You recently raised uh, some decent decent capital to continue to fuel the growth at UC and excited excited about the future for you. Thank you. We're happy to evangelize our story. We also write a lot about it, about it online. We did an AMA with Combinator, and we, we think that what we're doing and just cybersecurity in general needs it needs a large multiple increase of, of folks passionate about it, not just in the U.S., but globally. At startups, at large companies, it's a really exciting space, and it's, it's evolving so quickly. I think that if you're, if you're data-driven and have a bit of a sense for adventure, uh, it's the most fun place to be. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Ben. It's been awesome to have you and good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining the Securing Our Future podcast brought to you by New North Ventures. Stay up to date on dual use innovation in augmented intelligence, digital authenticity, and cyber integrity by subscribing to our newsletter at newnorthventures.com. Prior thinking is that you can either make a lot of money or do right for the country. Now we can and must do both as there are incredible opportunities for outsized returns from both a financial and national security perspective.